Yep, yep, yep. It's July the 19th. This is Jermaine with the Kick It Straight Podcast. Coming back with another, hopefully, insightful, informative, Kicking It Straight Truth episode. I'm just going to get right into it. Nick Cannon. Today is Sunday, July the 19th. So by now, everybody has heard about the Nick Cannon controversy with Viacom, with the Jews, with the Anti-Defamation League, with Professor Griff. So, let's just get right into it. Nick Cannon and Professor Griff was having a conversation between two black men on a podcast. This was not new. This podcast is recently old. I seen the podcast when it was first aired on YouTube back in, I think, January, maybe February. January, February, right before the uh, pandemic hit. Point number one. But it's just now coming to light. You know why? We don't have sports. We're not talking about LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard. We're not talking about Venus and Serena and Coco Bluff. We're not talking about Strasbourg, Verlander, uh, Yashiel Preak, the Dodgers. We're not talking about Mike Trout. We're not talking about soccer. We're not talking about MMA. Americans have nothing to talk about right now because all the entertainment on a mass scale and the fans' involvement and the emotional attachment has been put on pause due to COVID-19. So Americans are, right now, we're, we are a void people. So this made big news. It wouldn't have made big news if COVID-19 wasn't here. This is just my viewpoint. All right, number one. Number two, Nick Cannon and Professor Griff, they are not anti-Semites. Nowhere in the history of this country can you say black people have ever been anti-Semites. We have never been, because you know what we don't do? Black people have never sat around and put white people into, into different small groups. We look at white people as white people. We never say, oh, that Irish man spit in my face. We never say that Jewish woman called me nigger. We never say that Polish woman wouldn't give me a job. We never say that Russian man cut me off. We didn't say white people. So that was one lie that was decimated in the white Jewish media, right? This is what my, not my friend, this is what another famous black historian, Tariq Nashiba, called, this is the Jewish in the media way of deflecting. You see, since you are a, put it like this, the people who run the media, they are a low-class people mentally. And I always say this, you can always tell a people's intellectual capacity by the deflection game. In the last week, they played a deflection game. They wanted to deflect away from some, in parentheses, the truth that Nick Cannon spoke, but they did not like the fact that they had gave Nick Cannon all this money and he stepped out of pocket. That's what this conversation really comes down to. Think about this. In the light of George Floyd, in the light of all these fake hypocritical white people calling themselves woke, calling themselves conscience, which is a big 
comedy circus to me. In light of Breonna Taylor's murder still having been charged, in light of it took eight days or seven days, I think the timeline was, for George Chauvin and those officers who murdered George Floyd to get arrested, it took a month or two months for the two killers, three killers of Ahmaud Arbery to get arrested. So Nick Cannon is fired immediately. And this is why Viacom did that. This country, and I'm in the Jewish Anti-Defamation League and Jewish power brokers who run Hollywood, those wicked individuals, they have a way of putting their black people back in check. Ask Steve Harvey. And he didn't even make no Jewish comment. He just made some white boy comments. And they took him off every TV show. I don't understand why black men won't get out of the mind state, which is a slavery mind state, of chasing the bag. Because when you chase that bag, you're basically chasing the money that goes back to who? White people and the Jewish power brokers. Because black folk, we don't own nothing in this country. In spite of how some white people want to tout a Michael Jordan and a Oprah Winfrey and a Bob Johnson and some of our so some of our black million and the few black billionaires, that's only one percent of the black masses, right? Those people, even though they are high, high success stories, their voices have been muted. Because along with success comes a sacrifice. There's a book out called The Price of the Ticket. And it talks about the price that blacks have paid for integration on a whole scale, wanting to be in white politics for so long, and wanting to be on white mass media and in white people's circles. Now, when I say white people's circles, I am not talking about the white people that you go to church with. They have no power. I'm not talking about the white people in a West Virginia or Kentucky or Louisiana or in Ohio who you hobnob with, who make minimum wage, or who may even be school teachers. I'm not, they don't have no power. I'm talking about the rich, white, racist, evil-minded Jewish people who disseminate garbage on the airways from Hollywood, on your media, on your radio, those are the ones that Professor Griff and Nick Cannon was talking about. So on that aspect, they were 100% right. And to all of my white friends, black folks been saying that for the longest. But it's new to you, white people. It's new to you. It's not new to us. When I first heard it, me and some of my friends were talking about, we were like, okay, so what's the big story? I like, well, he finally had Professor Griff on the show, and we was checking out the podcast or whatever. We were like, we've been heard this stuff. The only comment that I don't, and I will never co-sign, and, and he, I, I can't speak for the Canaan's heart. I would just say, I don't believe the white people are less than when they went, because they went to the Caucasus Mountains, and I haven't read any books on that, so I can't say for sure, and because they lack melanin. I can't co-sign that because that's just genetically not right. Because there are a lot of lies out there about the melanin. Like when COVID-19 hit, 
we had black folks saying that because black folks had melanin, black people wasn't going to get sick and die from the COVID-19. And I've been telling some of these people who listen to these people, you are a moron if you believe that. Melanin does not make black people superhuman. Let's just put it out there. And this is why melanin can't make black people superhuman. I'm always telling you, my starting point, my vortex, my paradigm is going to be, I don't want to say the Christian faith, but following Jesus Christ. I believe in the Bible. Nobody else and nobody else's religion has come and has been able to debase or contradict scientifically the Genesis story of the account in the fall. So now, I believe all human beings are very flawed, are very frail, and since sin, the Adamic curse, we are prone to die and to get all kinds of diseases, no matter what your color, no matter how much pigment, lack of pigment, or melanin, or lack of melanin. That's just the way that ball game bounces. So let's just be honest with that. Okay? I have digressed. Let me get back to the canon and Professor Griff. So damn. Viacom fired him immediately, calling him anti-Semitic, which was, again, a deflection lie. And it also was a trick to dominate. People in Hollywood and the evil people who run this country, they always want to dominate their subjected masses. Black people have never been free. Totally. If you think about the word freedom in its truest form, right? Um, right after the um, Emancipation Proclamation, um, General Sherman and some of his other people met with 20 black people in Savannah, Georgia, right after uh, the Emancipation Proclamation. And they was going to ask these black folks, these 20 religious leaders, preachers, what would freedom look like for them? Well, these 20 people chose a black man to um, go represent them during this uh, meeting. And uh, the black man was 65 years old, and his name was... Hmm, his name was Garrison Jordan, I think it was. And he basically told them that to be free, uh, it meant that black people would be able to participate in their well-being on political, educational, religious roads. And I'm paraphrasing here. He also said they want to be the full owners of their crops. And they want to get paid for their wealth and their labor. And we know that never happened because they went into sharecropping and black sometimes, even though they had to share the crops with white people, would get uh, messed, get effed out of their crops. Sometimes they wouldn't even get the cotton or any of the money. So even though they were sharecropping in this contract, they were still poor. But again, once again, I digress. So what is freedom? So we have to talk about... If you have a document 
that Americans have with the amendments of the Constitution, and we have freedom of speech, is it really free if when you speak, the powers that be, that dominate and control, can always come back and deflect and to put you back in a place that they believe you should never have got out of in the first place? I'm just asking a question here. Are black folk who make money under the tutelage of white Hollywood, are they really free? And my answer is that time and time again, we are not. Or not me, I'm poor. Well, they are not free. Let me give you some names. Ice Cube. Ice Cube made some comments about Jewish people. And I think Ice Cube has probably had a lot of dealings with Jewish people in the rap game. Because we know how dirty the rap game is. How a lot of the record companies, rap and R&B, was ran by Jewish people. And how they promoted this horrible music. Well, even sometimes, as another rapper would say, they even wrote lyrics. Jews would write lyrics and have these black, unintelligent men rap these lyrics that decimated the community's mentality. You see, uh, Michael Jackson talked about Jewish bankers. But they made him change the lyrics in the song when he says they don't care about us. That song went through two different we mates. Prince talked about this. I believe that's why Prince was, even though he had a pill problem, I still think that was kind of like a Michael Jackson situation where this man is is becoming too free, too powerful, and we have to get rid of him um, they've been trying to go at Farrakhan since I would have been here in Farrakhan when I was 24 years old at Howard University they've been trying to make Farrakhan an anti-Semite Farrakhan is the Jewish whipping boy uh, and the biggest one who had to go on this what I call the kiss the Jewish behind tour is, Lewis, is uh, President Barack Obama. Jeremiah Wright was President Barack Obama's pastor for 20 plus years. Married him and, his, him and Michelle. Uh, Christian, their first daughter. I think it was Malia. But when Obama was running for his first presidency, all of a sudden, your white supremacists on cable network, Tucker, Tucker Carlson, Bill O'Reilly, Greta Zornstein, CNN even got into the mix. Everybody got into the mix because they wanted this handsome, half-white, half-black man in office. So what did they do? They would go back and they found tapes from Jeremiah Wright that was eight years old and they looped it together just two minutes of a speech. Well, what, it was a Sunday morning sermon two minutes of a Sunday morning sermon and they looped it over and over again and they made President Obama disavow his black past Deshaun Jackson now Deshaun Jackson should have kept his mouth shut he's not really read on history but the quote that he quoted by Hitler was in fact he just should not have quoted Hitler at that time because he is not smart enough to 
have that kind of conversation because he's not well read. But I understood where he was coming from. But back to Obama. Are black people really free when you can't even speak on a Sunday morning without white people? And that's that say for the conversation. The Jewish bankers, the Jewish realtors who run this country, the cabal and others, the Illuminati and others, you as a black man can't even speak on a Sunday morning. Okay? Are you really free when you as a rich black person you are told to get to another level of success, you have to disavow your friendships. I want anybody to hit me on Facebook, on my Twitter, or even on Instagram. You can call me and tell me when was the last time white people had to disavow their friendships. And please don't come to me, white people, with your fake outrage, because that gets real old. Well, you know, Jermaine, I've been feeling really bad and I've cut some of my friends off for using the word nigger. And you're supposed to do that anyway. But when have white people been forced to disavow their friendships? Nick Cannon had to disavow his friendship with Professor Griff, with, uh, Professor Griff. The very next day calling him Richard Griffin. I knew Professor Griff's name. Because I grew up on true hip-hop, right? I would always read the credits. But most people, especially most white people, never read those credits. So now, Nick Cannon had to play the spineless guppy, like most black men have to play, to play in Hollywood successful. Now he's calling him Richard Griffin, calling him by his government name. We are the only ones who have to disrespect our friendships that has helped us and aided us and educated us. I said back then Obama should have been ashamed of himself. Obama's wife should have been ashamed of himself of, to marry such a spineless individual. I say that then and I say that now. Okay. They went on in this conversation. He said we had these two black men in this room talking on a podcast, right? Called Candace Class. I have watched every episode of Candace Class. Unlike you white people who gotten all this fake rage. So, with the Professor Griff, I would say they made a mistake by having this kind of conversation without no Hebrew scholars. Another point they said was anti-Semitic when he said, well, black people are the original uh, Hebrew. Well, that's not far-fetched. I've been hearing that since the age of 16, 17 when I first moved up to Washington, Washington D.C., Tacoma Park area. And I didn't get more invested into it <clears throat> until I was in my 20s and really started to read a lot of great literature. See, there's two kinds of literature out there for the black, for the black community, right? You have your scholarly writings by your Ph.D. holders and your Ph.D. guys and your doctors, right? Then you have your street literature where guys who don't have PhDs who say they have done some studying have uncovered this truth. And that's in abundance that black people are the original Jews and the white people that they are just imposters, right? That has been said for years. Let me just say this, not on the masses of black people. Every black person not talking about this, but a lot of black people have, right? 
my point is this. Why is it so bad when black people in a room, two black men in a room, are just having a discussion and they're trying to surmise why does the world in Hollywood work the way it works? That's basically what they was doing. <clears throat> now, they, they kind of went off tilter a little bit. But there was nothing anti-Semite. He didn't slander nobody. He didn't call no names. He didn't talk about the Jewish religion. He didn't say none of that. And then there was another issue where he spoke up for Louis Farrakhan. I don't see a problem with that. Farrakhan is a Muslim, a black Muslim religious leader. They have a paradigm which he speaks and lives in. Right? He said a lot of things about Jewish people over the years. I believe a lot of what he said has been true. Has Farrakhan, like every other preacher I know who's ever bled red blood, spoken out of pocket sometime? You better believe it. Every Christian preacher I know has spoken out of pocket sometime. Every Mormon preacher has spoken out of pocket sometimes. Every political leader has spoken out of pocket sometimes. But think about this. Jews are a sacred cow. It's only when you speak about Jewish people in a term that they don't like, or you become enemy number one. And you have to go on what I call, again, the kiss the Jew butt apology tour, like Nick Cannon is doing right now. Right? Um, when Deshaun Jackson spoke out, I, I forgot which white football player said they invited Deshaun Jackson to a tour of the Holocaust Museum of Washington, D.C. I've been to the Holocaust Museum three times. And the second time I went was back in 2000. And when one of my friends read, it was right after the first, or the, it was right after the second Million Man March. So I want to say back probably like 2007, I think, maybe 2006. And after we got to the end of the tour, one of the tour guides, because <laughs> the friend I was with was a white female, one of the tour guides were like, well, still was talking to us and everything. What did I think about the Holocaust? I said, man, this is a really tragic, sad part of history. And my friend who at that time was working on her master's, um, she says, but it's really sad that I have to say this, but I think she says, and her, she said herself as a white female, she says, but slavery was much worse. And I just looked at her like, Corinne, what are you doing? She said, slavery is much worse. And you should see the horror field on this man's face. And it's sad when people feel like they have to compare massacres or compare Holocaust. Because there is a book called The African Holocaust. It's a great, great book. I don't like to do that comparison, but I'm made to do that comparison because we always have to talk about slavery because slavery is the racial impetus and the foundation of every racial problem in this country until we deal with slavery and everything that flowed from slavery. As I say, the through line from slavery, America will never ever get better racially. They're not getting better racially. What we have right now is not racial understanding. We don't have no racial reckoning. We're not having no national racial conversation. What you have right now is a racial chicken-eating kumbaya moment. 
all your black preachers, well, not all of them. I can't say all of them. Most of your black preachers are spineless guppies. They come around big white platforms and they keep their mouths shut, right? And the few black preachers like the pastor over at Alpha Street Baptist Church because he talks about it openly on his pulpit. They call him liberal. Or Jeremiah Wright, who doesn't speak any longer because he had a stroke and he's been sick the last few years. But even his the guy who runs that church now, they call him very liberal. They call him an anti-Semite when he's not at all. Black people are not freaking. We cannot speak truth. Because when you speak truth and the power tells you your truth ain't truth, you ain't free. It's just a different kind of, I don't want to say slavery to be over dramatic, but it's just a different <clears throat> kind of, uh, <clears throat> of of dominance. Just a different kind of dominance. So we have to ask the question again. What is so terrifying about black folk in their speech that makes Jewish people feel like as soon as they say something that we don't like, we get to crush them. <clears throat> How many of you remember Michael Richards? Or I think it was Michael Richardson, the comedian who used to be on Friends. When he had that skit, it was like, nigga, nigga, nigga. He said, like, nigga, like, 16 times in two minutes, something like that. He didn't have to go on the Black Kiss Behind apology tour. He didn't have to do that, right? Don um, Imus. Nappy-headed hoes. Talking about the Rutgers basketball team, I think in 2007, right? Even though Fox did fire him, but he was not taken off the airwaves like Nick Cannon was. I'm just saying, if you're going to do for one, you have to do for other. And this country still has the racial inequality that white people in leadership <clears throat> get to say whatever they want about black folk and get a slap on the wrist, just like in the judicial system. When black men speak out of pocket, they want to cut his finances. And that's why Nick Cannon had to cower like a little boy because he has a $4 million mansion and fancy cars, you know. And I understand <clears throat> that he can't go nowhere else and make that kind of money. But man, to, to cower like that, just to, and I also think, this is a thing of integrity. The reason a Louis Farrakhan and a Professor Griff <clears throat> doesn't have to go on that apology tour for Jewish people, because them guys kept their integrity. This is just my point of view. I believe they got some dirt on their cannon, sexually. They may have some dirt on Ice Cube, sexually. They like, look, little boy, we you know you did this. Nick Cannon did wear the dress. So he already showed he's willing to act like a little faggot. He's already showed he's he's already is a sympathizer of black men being real gay-like, being real effeminate. He's already showed he will do whatever it takes to make some money, i.e. Martin Lawrence, Wesley Snipes. He's already showed that. How many of you remember Dave Chappelle? <clears throat> Dave Chappelle walked away from, I think they would say about $40 million at one time. And they took this part of the interview off YouTube. But me and some of my friends were talking about it like sometime last year. Well, 
when he was coming back, he was talking to Oprah Winfrey about it. And he says, Oprah, I will never wear a dress. He says, when he was doing the movie Blue Streak with Martin Lawrence, they tried to force Dave Chappelle into wearing a dress. Dave Chappelle, I ain't put on no dress. He says, as Martin had put on the dress. Well, Martin had already put on the dress, I think, in uh, Mama's House or whatever that them two movies was. Big Mama's House. And Dave Chappelle said he almost got booted off the set of Blue Street because he would not put on the dress. And he went in to say that a lot of the people who were in Hollywood, again, the Jewish bankers and real estates, the realtors, it's almost like the dress and being in a homosexual scene is the black man's acceptance or initiation into Hollywood to get those paydays. And I just believe they got some dirt on their cannon. I believe they got some dirt on Wesley Snipes and other guys. That's why when these guys mess up, they have to quickly apologize. And before I cut this episode off, and this is what white America is so famous with doing. When something like this happens, what do they do? They go out and they get their, what I call their black figureheads. Jamel Hill, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. This guy should just go somewhere and just shut up, right? He wrote this stupid, unintelligent letter talking about blacks, uh, anti-Semitism in and, and the NBA and the sports and Black should fight against anti-Semitism. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you were such a great athlete. You took a stand back in the day when they stripped Muhammad Ali and him and George Foreman and Sidney Poitier uh, gave Muhammad Ali some money so Muhammad Ali wouldn't go broke. This is well written about. You know, he took a stand on some things. He wouldn't prop up. Uh, process his hair like they wanted to. He kept his fro for the longest time. Okay. But Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you're old. Your mind right there. You just need to go somewhere to shut up and be Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in your dying days. Because what you said was really simple-minded. And it's really a shame because you are an icon. Jamel Hill has always been the white man's flunky. She, she is the white man's mammy. She always manages to apologize for black men and to say black men are this and black men are racist and black men are uh, toxic masculinity. That's why they kicked her butt off of ESPN and another show she had. Uh, every time she got in trouble, she was quick to write that apology. And I just think that is a sign that you're not a full man. You're not a full woman. You can't stand on your square. And stand by what you say and what you believe no matter who doesn't like it. I mean, in the face of one racial group, the white bankers and the Jewish bankers and Jewish realtors, let me speak to that before someone gets ready mad. There's a book called The Color of Law written by a Jewish man. And he goes into the history of Jewish, of uh, all of the restricted covenants that created wealth gap in this country where in Chicago and Los Angeles and Wilmington, Delaware and Charlotte, North Carolina all over this country where Jewish bankers wrote what they call restricted covenants that forced and kept black families even World War II black veterans out of white 
areas in made the ghetto. This is written by a by a white Jewish scholar. So don't tell me that Professor Griff and Nick Cannon were speaking out of pocket on everything they said because they wasn't. Some of the stuff they said was just raw truth. The other stuff they said, like, okay, Nick Cannon, you know, you, you shouldn't really have said that, Nick, right? But whatever, it is what it is. So don't tell me we're all talking conspiracy theory here because we're not. This stuff is written down in books and annals of history. And like I try to tell one of my Jewish employees, until you talk about the Jewish-owned slave ships, you can't tell me nothing about Jewish oppression. I don't want to hear nothing you have to say. I'm sorry. And yes, your daddy is high up on this food chain of giant. I could care less. Until you admit, and Farrakhan even said that he's told Jewish people this a couple of years ago at Howard University. He says, until Jewish people admit their hands in slavery, no Jewish person can come to him and tell him that he's an anti-Semite. Because we're not. Black people had bigger fists to fry and bigger birds to shoot than being a so-called anti-Semite. Well, you know what? I have said enough. This is the Kick It Straight Podcast with Jermaine. I just thought I let some stuff die down. I wanted to put my thoughts out there. And I'm pretty sure some of you will not like it. And that is the way I like it. Because we have freedom of speech. And we have the freedom to express our viewpoint. However, you have a great week. Until the next time, kick it straight. Thank you.